The scripture reading for today is from Genesis 29:13 through 35. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh, and he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give you to her than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, that I may go, that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went in to Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have bore him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Uh, it's been a few weeks now since we started this series where we're, we're going through the stories that the Jesus Storybook highlights as connecting all of Scripture together, uh, which has been really fun to do, and I want to encourage you to read them with your child, with your grandchild. Uh, that book does a great job of connecting all of Scripture together in a way that many of us didn't hear when we were growing up. 
we're honest. Like, we didn't really understand how the Bible was all connected and that everything was pointing to Christ. And uh, I don't remember actually understanding that fully until probably my early 20s. And when that happened, to me, there's a sense in which the Lord increased my, my love for his word and my confidence in his word. So if we have a chance as parents and grandparents to instill that in our children and grandchildren in their earliest years, boy, that's a gift uh, to give to them. So I want to encourage you to do that. It's a gift of a true perspective about the word of God uh, that is so helpful for us. Let's pray together. Lord, we need your help uh, to um, rightly understand things. We need your help to grow in uh, love for you. Uh, So Holy Spirit, please work in our hearts and minds now. Work through the power of your word. Help us to become more like Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Have you ever noticed that the Lord seems to work in backward, it seems backward to us maybe, uh, or unexpected and upside down kinds of ways? Well, listen to these words. I'm just going to kind of shoot through some different scriptures really quick that kind of show that part of God's character. In 1 Corinthians 1, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. 1 Samuel 16, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance. This is when he's going to anoint David king. Do not look on his appearance, David's older brother, or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Isaiah 55, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And then in Romans 4, I love this in relation to uh, Abraham uh, being the person who is going to be the father of, of faith and having children as numerous as the sand and the stars in the sky. Uh, In Romans 4, Paul reminds us, that the Lord gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So just think about this, all these different ways in which God shows us he is working in ways that we don't understand much of the time. And he is 
doing things that don't make any sense to our observations and to a watching world especially. Thankfully, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we as his people, he gives us a a view into these things and we can understand them better. Uh, But to a watching world, surely so many things about the Lord look very backward and unexpected. So our passage, passage today shows us one of the many times in God's word where we see him working in a backward, unexpected way. First, a reminder about Jacob. Remember, we're kind of in the story of, of Jacob here with this. And remember, he's the chosen one, okay? So first of all, it's like, why this guy? I mean, Lord, why would you choose this bumbling fool who is deceiving, trying to deceive everyone? Clearly, this guy is not seeking to be godly in so many different ways. And the Jesus Storybook says this, the funny thing is Jacob, of all people, was the one God gave the special promise to, the same promise that he had given his grandfather Abraham, I will rescue the world through your family. But then God chooses people we least expect, as we'll see. So that's Jacob in this story, right? But then Leah, Leah here, is especially an example of the Lord looking those who are rejected and despised, and elevating them to a place that is high. And so to the watching world, it seems as though the Lord is doing something backward and unexpected and kind of weird. But he sees the lowly and he loves to elevate them. So Leah was not as outwardly desirable to Jacob. So we saw that uh, in Verse 17 says, Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. And most uh, scholars believe that when it says Leah's eyes were weak, that there was something about her eyes that made her unattractive in some way. That's where they most, that's the direction that most of them go on. So Rachel was more attractive in appearance, uh, in appearance to Jacob. And So she was rejected by Jacob, okay? But then she was also not really wanted by her father because he has to trick Jacob in order to marry her off. So there's a sense of even being rejected by her father here. He gives her, and think about the the, um, unthoughtfulness, the uh, selfishness that Laban has, her dad, Because he gives her to someone who doesn't even want to marry her. So you can just see kind of this building up in Leah, this sense of downtrodden, experiencing affliction, being cast to the side. And he also, Laban also uses her to get more labor out of Jacob. Okay? And later, in the story, which isn't in our passage, Jacob needs a bribe to Rachel by Leah to get him to be intimate with Leah. So Leah uses a bribe towards Rachel to get Jacob to be with her. Messed up stuff, right? So how does the Lord respond to how Leah is being treated? 
How does he respond to her? Well, when the, so we see in verse uh, 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, so the Lord is seeing Leah. He's seeing how she's being treated, how people are thinking of her. And when he sees that she's being hated, he opens her womb. So it says, he saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So here's that flip-flopped upside-down thing right away. So the one who is despised is the one whose womb he opens to be able to bear children. But the one who was desirable, her womb is closed. So the thing that people would think, oh, automatically, all right, well, Rachel, like this is the things we connect in our head. Like once something seems to be going right for somebody, we start to connect, oh, well, surely she's going to have all these kids and it's going to be easy for Rachel, blah, 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 right? That's the way we kind of tend to think about things. But the Lord looks at what is happening to Leah and he says, I'm going to do something different here that man is not expecting. So he opens her womb. And Leah recognizes what the Lord has done, and she recognizes the affliction she has. So she ends up saying, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, okay, that's, she gets, uh, she has her first son, Reuben, and she ends up saying, I, I have a son because he has looked upon my affliction. And then she has a second son. So the first son is Reuben. Second son is Simeon. And she says, the Lord has heard that I am hated. So she recognizes this and she makes a connection like the Lord, because of what's happening to me, is showing me this favor. So she recognizes that. Now after the fourth, she finally, it's interesting that the scriptures say, she finally, this time I will praise the Lord. Okay, she conceived and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. So she finally praises the Lord. And so there's a sense in which, okay, the first three children, she was recognizing what the Lord was doing, but she hadn't praised the Lord in it. She was still trying to find her, uh, her worth in being welcomed and pleased, pleasing to her husband. But then she finally says, I'm going to praise the Lord about this now. And so she names him Judah. And interesting, once she praises the Lord, then her womb is closed again. Isn't that interesting? So sometimes, I mean, so like you would think, oh, well, she praised the Lord. Well, he would keep the womb open. That would seem like what we would connect there. So the Lord is up to things very often that don't make sense to us. And to the people that would be watching Leah's life, the fact that she would be blessed, they'd be like, what is happening here? So the Lord has compassion on the cast aside and the afflicted. And overall, in the end, the Lord gives her the most children compared to Rachel. So Closes the womb, but then she ends up having some children later on again. So she ends up getting more children than Rachel does. 
Now, the, the interesting thing, too, is that Leah is not a picture of perfection herself, like heart-wise. So, yes, maybe to man's eyes, she wasn't attractive or whatever, but even her heart, because look at what she ends up doing. So we don't have this in our, in our passage immediately, but later on in the story, uh, she ends up getting into the servant pregnancy competition. Okay? Because Rachel, since she hasn't, have any, hasn't had any kids yet with Jacob, she starts feeling pressure and says, Jacob, I want you to be with my servant then so that you can have children. And then Rachel, once the servant has children, she takes credit for, oh, now I have some children. Very interesting, right? And then Leah, because her womb is closed, she feels that, or, oh, gosh, I have, to, I have to catch back up with Rachel here at some level. I have to be showing something here. So she falls into that trap of saying, oh, here's my servant. You can have her. And then when that servant has children, then she, oh, now I have, I've given more children now. So it's not like Leah here, even after she praises the Lord, is this picture of this great humble heart that is so reliant and trusting on the Lord. She falls right into this stuff again. But the Lord, even after, even after she gets into that competition, he opens her womb again. So even in her sin and her lack of trust in the Lord, lack of following the Lord, he shows her compassion again and opens her womb in that way. Now, the amazing thing, ultimately, like the most important thing that the Lord does in regard to Leah is that he puts her in the line of Christ. So remember, Jacob was given the promise not Esau. And so with Leah, so people would think, oh, surely, like if we look back on this now, or maybe even if uh, people were to connect the, the blessing that was given to Jacob, and then Jacob wants to be with Rachel, then it would be easy to think, oh, surely the blessing would go through Rachel, the one who was desirable, the one who Jacob wanted to be with. Surely the blessing would go through her. But that's not what happens. So when we found out that Judah was her child, Judah, that's why Jesus is called the line of the tribe of Judah. He is descended from the line of Judah. So there's all these backward things that are happening here. Like the Lord is working in ways that does not make sense to man. So what would seem foolish or weird to us actually ends up being wise, right? Remember that passage I read? The foolishness of God is wiser than man. And the Jesus Storybook says it like this, and you'll never guess what job gave, God gave Leah. You see, when God looked at Leah, he saw a princess. And sure enough, that's exactly what she became. One of Leah's children's children's children would be a prince, the Prince of Heaven, God's Son. This is a clear theme in Scripture where the Lord looks on people who are cast aside, down and out, in terms of how man looks at the world, but then also he's looking at sinful 
broken people, sinful, broken in mind and heart, and he's showing compassion on them. So here are other examples of unlovables in Scripture. There's lots of them, but here's a few. Rahab the prostitute. Hagar, Sarah's servant, who was given to Abraham to bear children, and then she was discarded. And that same affliction word comes up with her, like it did with Leah. Hannah, Samuel's mom, who couldn't bear children and was made fun of by her husband's other wife. And that same word, affliction, is connected to her. Israel itself, Israel, God's people. In Deuteronomy 7, it says this, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more numerous in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So it's not because Israel was like more numerous, numerous and mighty that God said, hey, I choose these people. They look pretty good. No. It actually said, like, essentially what the explanation is as to why he chose them. But it is because the Lord loves you. So he loves them because he loves them. Pretty strange. Like, it's not like there was something desirable about the people of Israel but he chose to set his love on them. And so he loves them because he loves them. Paul, as Saul, remember what it says at the beginning of uh, the chapter in Acts where it talks about his conversion? And it says, Saul was breathing threats and murder towards the people of God and to the gospel. Breathing threats and murder he had no problem with seeing God's people be killed. He had no problem with seeing them be imprisoned. Now, if you're God, and you, like you put yourself in the place of God, and you're looking at a person like that, would you be like, oh man, this guy is awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm going to pick him. He is great. Like, look at all the stuff he's done that's so wonderful. No, he'd be the furthest person from your mind. But that's not the way God works. And really, Paul's example kind of flows into what I want to take us through here really quick. Which is, how can we have a heart like God's that cares for the lowly, the down and out, the afflicted, and the sinful? How can we have a heart like that? Well, we must see ourselves first in that group of the down and out, the lowly, the not deserving attention, the ones who shouldn't get care and love. We need to see ourselves in that group first. And that may sound kind of weird. And one time I was asked to uh, speak at a Fellowship of Christian Athletes Bible study um, and it happened to fall on Valentine's Day, okay? 
So the first thing I got up and I said was, uh, I know it's Valentine's Day and we want to usually talk about love and mushy mushy or whatever. And I said, actually, uh, I think for us to understand God's love, uh, we need to understand actually how unlovable we are. And so on Valentine's Day, I took that group through how unlovable we are. (laughs) Uh, But then the good news after that was God's love for us, despite how unlovable we are. But let's let's just be reminded here. In Romans 3, Paul starts with some, some reminders. Essentially, like, think about the, what Paul does here. He quotes all these different scriptures in Romans 3. It's, it's uh, starting at verse 10. But it's almost like um, he's, he's pulling all these different places from scripture to say, this is how bad we are. So it's almost like Paul is making a playlist of all the songs that talk about how bad we are. And he's reminding everybody, here's the titles of all those, playlist, of, of all those songs. So here's what he says. And remember, Paul is is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So God's Holy Spirit, his Spirit, wants us to realize these things about ourselves. Okay? So none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's a description of everybody apart from Christ. Apart from the Holy Spirit working in people. Apart from the salvation in Christ. Of being one of his people. Then later on in Romans 5, he says, now listen to the describing words about us in here. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. There's some strong describing words about us there. And think about what what Paul is saying there. Even in that phrase um, where it says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But the whole point is, Jesus didn't die for good people. He didn't die for good people. So one would scarcely die, possibly, for a good person. Like, hey, that person's good. It's worth me giving my life to die for them. That makes sense. 
it doesn't make sense to die for crummy people. And we're in that lot, apart from Christ. I mean, the Scriptures are so clear, these describing words. So let's recap how unlovable and ugly we are. Boy, doesn't that sound harsh? So we were enemies of God. Enemies, that word is there, enemies of God. We were going our own way. We do no good. Didn't, we don't seek after God. We don't understand the things of God. We were weak. And there's no fear of God before our eyes. So that Romans 3 and that Romans 5 combined together tell us those things. So before Christ, those things are true of us. And when, when Kendra was talking about, you know, wanting to have that, that pit, you know, you were down in the pit experience so you could tell, oh, Jesus brought me out of this pit. Uh, and she's absolutely right when she says, you know, she's realized over the years that, like, she, things were worse off for her than what she realized. Like, God saved her from more than what she realized kind of thing. And even if maybe you've known Jesus from the time that you were very small, and you don't remember a time of, of not knowing Jesus, like, think about what he saved you from at an early age. Like, that's how we can say, apart from the grace of God, there go I. Like, when we see the crazy stuff that people do and the decisions they make, and we're like, how could somebody choose to do that? Well, apart from the grace of God, you might be there or somewhere worse. So we have been saved and redeemed from great, terrible things. And maybe you had more of life to experience that great and terrible stubbornness towards God, and now you see something different. But if you haven't, then it's still something to praise the Lord for because, man, he redeemed you. Gave you a different heart very early on. And what a gift. What a gift that is. So before Christ, those things were true of us. What is true of us now in Christ? And this is where it comes in. Like, this stuff is backward. This stuff doesn't make any sense. If we're enemies of God and we're not good people, then why would these things that I'm about to read be true? So in Romans 15, and this is what happens in the Scriptures a lot, you, you see like a list of, this is how you should live with one another. This is how you should um, treat one another. This is how you should treat people in the world. And so there'll be like a list of, live like this with one another. But then there will be some verse that says, uh, live like this because of how God has treated you. So sometimes the list of how to live will come before Christ has treated you like this. And then sometimes the Christ has treated you like this, therefore live like this, okay? So in Romans 15, there's a list of these things. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So he keeps listing off a few things. And then at the end of that passage, he says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So, 
if we're so bad and we don't seek after God and Christ welcomes us, think about that. that doesn't, that's backward. That doesn't make any sense. The Lord is doing something that is upside down. And he shows us his love and welcomes us. He welcomes us. And then in Ephesians 4, uh, Paul is talking about because of how you came to Christ, put off the old and put on the new. That's what that passage is about. He says things like, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And then at the end of that passage, he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So our tenderheartedness towards one another, our forgiving of one another, should flow out of how we've been treated by Jesus. That he does this very backwards, unexpected thing for us. That he redeems a sinful person like me. It's not like he, it's not like he looked at me and he said, Oh, Andy just has this great level of spirituality and thoughtfulness, and he's kind, and um, I don't see that, oh, he, he hasn't murdered anybody. He hasn't, you know, these kind of, And it looks like in the future he's going to become a pastor. Oh, my, I like this guy. I'm going to set my love on him, that kind of thing. No, like, he doesn't look at that stuff. He chose me and set his love on me not because there's anything desirable about me. And then the good things that come in my life, the fact that I love the Lord at all, the fact that I love his word, the fact that I love being with his people and worshiping him, that all comes from the change that he did in me, that he set his love on me. So he has been kind and tenderhearted to me and has forgiven me. So I should do that to others. And then in Ephesians says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So because Christ has done that, then we should walk in love. And then after that, there's, there's more instructions for Christ-like living. So what questions can we ask ourselves at this point to, to lead to a heart that wants to love the down and out, to, to see the Leahs and to go after them, to pursue after them? Well, we can ask, how has God welcomed us? That's a good question to ask yourself. How has God welcomed me? How has God been kind to me? How has he been tenderhearted to me? How has he been forgiving? How has he given himself up for me? How has he loved me? If we realize how much Christ has done for us, even though we were enemies of his, that will drive us to pursue the lowly, the down and out, the unlovable, even our enemies, and to love them. Because we were an enemy of God. So the character of God that's shown in how he pursues after Leah and shows her compassion, even when others were casting her to the side, 
is the very thing that we can gain. We can gain that character the more we grow in loving the gospel of how he's loved us, his enemies. We'll close with, with this from the Jesus storybook. And this is right after that part about Leah's descendant being the prince of heaven, Jesus. This prince would love God's people. They wouldn't need to be beautiful for him to love them. He would love them with all his heart. And they would be beautiful because he loved them. Just like Leah. Lord, these things uh, can be so heavy for us when we're reminded of um, how much we reject you. And Lord, even as believers, we, we see our, our conflicted hearts and minds about worshiping you fully, loving you with our whole heart, mind, and strength. We see that conflict even as believers. Uh, Lord, apart from you, where would we be? Uh, we see our sin struggle now. Uh, where would we be apart from your work in us? Thank you for loving us. Thank you for coming for the undesirable like us. Thank you for having a heart for the down and out in this world. Give us your heart more and more like that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.